Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg. My producer, Hamil Javeri, is on assignment in Los Angeles, so I'm joined today by my colleague and occasional rival, Mr. Luke Curtinian. <laughs> frenemy, you're right? Frenemy, what's up, Ted? I would say, yeah, I would say frenemy is a perfect way of characterizing it, <laughs> if I were to use a term like frenemy. Um, but... Luke, we have a, a bunch of questions that I solicited from the internet to weigh in on today, but most of them, most of them, I would say, focused on what I believe to be a truly horrible hot take put out by you. Uh, before we get into those questions, can you summarize the controversial take you made? Yes, I, I absolutely can. Um, I... Uh, I decided that enough was enough, that holding my tongue in this, uh, in everything that's going on in the world right now, that holding my tongue was no longer an option, that I had to speak out um, on a, on a, what I thought was going to be a pretty one-sided issue, but it turns out it was pretty divisive. I wrote that pancakes were overrated, because simply they are. They're, they're, they, uh, I, I don't quite understand how they've uh, assumed this elevated role in the sort of Public food. How, we, how how do you see now? Maybe we're maybe what we differ here is is on how pancakes are rated because I feel like pancakes are delicious in a very mundane way. Like pancakes are a very standard bit of breakfast fare, and they're like something you I don't know. I don't I don't think that they I I don't see pa pancakes as existing on this elevated pantheon you describe. See, I think if they can, if, if, if you can describe them as delicious, I think then that automatically means they're overrated in my mind. If people can talk about their favorite breakfast foods and pancakes come into that conversation, then they're immediately overrated. No, okay? no. My, my, Okay. My my opinion. So and and then I, I want to clarify that there there are different there, there are shades within my argument. My, my I'm of the opinion that they are both bad and overrated. You're or, saying they're they're also bad, just straight I'm up saying, bad. Yeah, I'm saying they're medium to bad, but then also overrated. Some people think they're good but overrated. Stephen, our colleague Stephen, thinks they're good but overrated. Stephen um, tends to be smart about stuff. I think they are medium to bad and overrated. So I'm on the bearish end of the scale. So, so I will contend that you are eating the wrong pancakes because I know that one of your arguments against pancakes was that they lack texture. And I would tell you that if you're getting a good pancake, that is absolutely not the case, right? A good fluffy pancake that's been prepared correctly should be subtly crispy on the outside and sort of soft and fluffy on the inside. Um, I think that a lot of it has to do with how you sear up your pancakes. If you're doing it too soon, if you're not, I, I would say you got to go syrup pancake, syrup pancake, syrup pancake, rather than syruping all your pancakes up top. I think anyone who's really thought this through should know that. I also advise... Uh, making a small pool or bowl of syrup and using it for dipping rather than spreading the syrup right on top of your pancakes, but I understand that that requires see, see, Ted, another dish. Ted, 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 just, Ted, just listen to yours. Listen to how many parameters you've had to lie down. No, this you is just, all I'm saying is don't sog up your pancakes before you eat them with syrup because then you're going to have a, a biased view against pancakes when pancakes do absolutely have great texture. There are so many barriers to entry that you are erecting around this very mediocre what, utility food. What pancake that, that, was it? What pancake was it that you ate that inspired you to say pancakes are overrated? <laughs> I've had plenty of pancakes. I've had good pancakes. I've had bad pancakes. And even the good ones, I get what you're saying, that the texture can vary. But I really, even the good ones I haven't been impressed with. I mean, think about, like... Uh, compared to something like waffles or crepes or French toast, those are three very similar foods that are all remarkably better. No, than no, no. Crepes, oh. crepes on their own. Look, a crepe with like ham and cheese and stuff inside of there. That's that's a different thing. That's a good thing. A <laughs> uh, uh, crepe on its own. No, no, that doesn't stack up to a pancake. There's not enough stuff going on. It's a pancake, too flat and a pancake. boring. A pancake is clearly just something that somebody invented. They just threw down a bunch of sort of liquidy uh, dough-type mixture, heated it up, and they were probably so hungry and just it touched their lips for the first time. They're like, oh, my God, this is amazing, because it's the first thing they semi-edible they had to eat. What you just but, described, what you just described is also almost certainly the exact process behind the first donut. So are you saying that that won't lead to good food? 
I'm not saying that won't lead to good food. I th said that in this case, it didn't lead to good food. In this, in this case, it led to a very mediocre, amorphous, uh, doughy, overrated blob that has a lot of <laughs> sentimental value to people. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just just think about the process of pouring syrup or buttering your pancake. It's not like a waffle where you can pour syrup on and it comes to rest in all these little pockets all around the waffle, and it's really nice and neat and well, tidy. Well, look, I'm you not just, here to I'm not here to to speak ill of waffles. Is the thing right? I'm not saying waffles are bad. I'm that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that pancakes and waffles have. Uh, I think slightly different functions, right? Like a yeah. waffle is a is a heartier thing. A pancake, it, it's more. I think pancakes maybe are for uh, quietly a more distinguishing palate than you can bring to the table. And I would say that waffles, because they're so frequently, uh, because you're limited in your. Uh, ability to make waffles by the size of your waffle maker, which is less of an issue if you're working with like a griddle for pancakes. I'd say that too often waffles are served too long after they've been cooked. And so that crispy aspect that you're describing has already started to subside by the time the waffle is on my plate and getting into my mouth. You know, to pancakes credit, and you just touched on it, is that the thing they have going for them is that it's a very utilitarian food. It's pretty easy to make a passable pancake. Yeah, I think right? like the, the, the American... That's what, that's what it has going for it. So, um, but I'm not here to discuss whether these, whether a passable cat pancake which foods are easiest to make on the fly? Like pancakes may be up there in those rankings. I'm here to dis I'm here to argue that they're just not that good. You know, they they may be easy to make, but there are lots of things that are easy to make. Um, doesn't mean they're good. Oh uh, yeah, it has nothing to do with how easy it is to make to me. And like I think that things, I, you know, I try to judge food based on the quality of them as food rather than you know their preparation, right? If if I believe this cheeseburger tastes better than whatever like super intricate dish someone else has made, I'm always going to take the cheeseburger. It's not about the the work that went into it. I'm just saying that. I am frequently in situations where there are all sorts of incredible breakfast options available to me. Uh, most notably, I would say, at my just about the favorite place, uh, probably all told my favorite place to eat on this planet is a diner in Bennington, Vermont, called the Blue Bend Diner. And I'm almost reluctant to shout them out, uh, even on a... Uh, podcasts such as this one that is aimed an at... An anti-pancake podcast. Well, yeah. an anti-pancake <laughs> podcast. For one thing, and also, you know, a, a podcast aimed at a national audience uh, that, that probably won't actually drive a ton of people to the Blue Bend Diner, but it's packed enough as it is that... I kind of don't want to tell more people about it. Like I want to, I want to not wait when I get there to to sit down in a booth or whatever. And uh, so I'm I'm reluctant to like open up the secret that this place is just making better food than everyone else in the world. But they absolutely are. And there, I will frequently, I would say, one out of every four breakfasts there, I will get pancakes over chicken fried steak or uh, biscuits and gravy or a breakfast burrito or, you know, options that might seem more appealing and less, like I said, mundane. But their pancakes are so good that that's what I want. When I sit down and that's what I want. And I don't think you're ever really going to talk me out of that because I've had those pancakes and I'm thinking that if you haven't had pancakes that good, then you can't really speak to the overratedness of pancakes. A good pancake is so good, right? And, and they use fresh blueberries. What do you think? Uh, this was actually the question we, we were going to get into. This is our first question. Um, and it's from our former colleague, Tess, uh, Tess Quinlan. And she writes, what if there's stuff in the pancakes, chocolate chips, strawberries, bananas, blueberries, etc.? Does that change anything for you? I mean, it changes, it changes things the same way it would change, like, certain types of bread if you stuffed them with interesting things, right? Like, it, it, I, I think, like, cho I like chocolate chip pancakes, but I like them because the chocolate chips are awesome, and I get to eat them for breakfast. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bonus, or it's, a, it's on the plus side of things for pancakes that it can be a vehicle for these things. But, like, I'm not going to sit around and praise plain flat dough because you can maybe turn it into a pizza if you want to. Have, so like, you, have you had cornmeal pancakes? 
I don't think I've had... No, I haven't had corn. corn really, really good pancake variant. Try, get yourself like a, a box of Jiffy cornbread mix, and instead of making the cornbread, make the pancakes. I think the recipe is also on the box somewhere. Very similar. You just make them as pancakes instead of like baking it as cornbread. Try that and see see where you're at on pancakes after that. Do you like do you like cornbread? You you've lived in the south. Oh, I, I love cornbread. Yeah, try try try. How about this? How about you agree to try to make some cornmeal pancakes and get back to me on this I pancake issue? And and look, like it's it, it's good that pancakes can be adapted in lots of different ways, but there are all kinds of food that can be adapted in lots of different ways. I mean, like uh, bread is is something that can be adapted in lots of different ways, and it can make and it can be a good little addition. To uh, two things, but like that's that's all pancakes have going for it, right? You need to slather it in syrup and butter and fruit and chocolate chips well, in order to make it passable. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, but you're not saying bread is overrated, right? I'm, no, but I'm saying like I don't go around telling everyone like, oh my god, you know what's amazing? Bread. Like we we should just have. Why like, don't you do that? Bread is absolutely amazing. Bread's incredible. Have you ever tried the Atkins diet or anything? <laughs> deny, no, your, deny I, yourself bread. Deny yourself bread for two weeks, and, and you will be singing the praises of bread for the rest of your life. Let me rephrase. I like bread a lot, very much so. I love sandwiches. I love bread on things. But it's it would be unusual for me to go sing uh, bread's praises as a as a individual um, as an individual thing. Like if I said to you, oh, like you know what's really good, plain. Plain white bread. Plain white like bread tips. is really good. It's it is really good. If you have like a fresh baked roll of plain white bread, it's not good for you. It's really good. <laughs> I think your head. Bread. I think your. I don't think. Yeah, I. I don't trust your opinion. And on and, this. and and also bread has. Yeah. And also, we didn't address this. Bread has uh, better texture than pancakes. You can get crisp. It's it's it's, it's a lot. It, it's got that contrast variety, between bigger, crispy and fluffy in a way that variety, pancakes, sure. even the good pancakes, don't. Okay, I'll give you that. I mean, uh, yeah, look, I'm not here to compare bread to pancakes. Obviously, bread has a lot more uses, right? That's a, it's a separate separate conversation. I just don't think I just don't think we I think we have to move on because we've just spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast basically talking about pancakes, uh, and I could go on for probably another hour about how wrong you are. But <laughs> we got to move on. Um, and so, this is not really a question, and I'm just going to throw some of these at you because it it is kind of a funny jumping off point. Uh, Dennis has a podcast, Dennis Holden, who does have a podcast, which I've been on. It's a very good podcast, uh, and he keeps hyping us up on Twitter, so we might as well throw him a bone, too. Uh, but it's a good podcast, legitimately. It's one of the most fun ones to join, I've found. He just says, and I don't even know if this is related to me asking for questions. He just sent me a, a tweet that said, I need a list of quadrennial events. Um, and so I looked up lists of quadrennial events. There are the obvious ones, right? Uh, big sports ones, the Olympics, the World Cup. Uh, obviously, the presidential election is a, a huge quadrennial event. Uh, lots of gubernatorial elections. Gubernatorial, good word. Uh, there's a bunch of math prizes given out every four years. I don't know why. I Math people might like the number four. It's like easily squared and cubed and such, so people get, get down with that. Uh, there is something called the, actually speaking of bread, something called the, Port it's a Portuguese festival called the Festa de Tabuleros, uh, which involves people walking, uh, I think specifically uh, girls, young girls, walking through the streets in like a festive parade in which they wear bread on their heads. Do you know about this? Is this something that like is a commonly known thing in Europe? I, I don't know about this. No. Yeah, it's a it's a. I looked up quadrennial events. This is one of the ones that came up. The Portuguese Festa de Tabuleros. It involves wearing bread. Like it's it, they're like kind of like hats constructed of loaves of bread that are then decorated with flowers. So that's a thing. I who knew? I don't know. It's a it's like it dates back to like the 1300s. It's like a super old festival. Um, I, I don't I don't know what it's about. Maybe it's fun. Apparently, it draws people from all over Portugal. Maybe, must, maybe check it say, out. Maybe check it out. I don't know. Uh, go on. I must say, I'm always slightly surprised that there aren't more uh, quadrennial type events in sports, especially in America. So, like, you know, uh, the the World Cup's obviously the big one. Obviously, the Olympics. But these are both old. These are both really old uh, competitions. The Ryder Cup in golf is big, but that's every two years. It doesn't count. But like, 
apart from that, like, there's not a whole bunch of sport events that don't happen, uh, that, that, that happen, like, once every four years. It seems like it's more years. its more of a global thing for events. And probably because, like, logistically, especially if you're going back, like, 50 or 60 years with some of these things, it's probably logistically a lot harder to be like, oh, yeah, well, we can expect, you know, Estonia to send a, a Cricket World Cup team every single year for the Cricket World Cup. And I don't know if Estonia participates in the Cricket World Cup. Don't tell me I'm wrong on the Internet. We... We truth is a, a shaky and no longer uh, you know definitive thing at this point. So just for the sake of sake of argument, say Estonia is there. I think probably when you establish the Cricket World Cup, you were thinking, okay, it's going to be like quite a burden to ask these people to all furnish a team every single year. So four years kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, it, it's one of these things too that I'm not even quite sure whether I like it or not. Like, I love the World Cup. I love when it rolls around. But would I like it more? Like, do I like the pageantry of it rolling around once every four years? Or do I like, or, or would I like my life be better if I had it once a year? You know, and I accepted that, like, each individual one may not be as special as the one I'd get every four years, but, like, the net gain on my life would be higher. I'm, I'm actually not sure. See, yeah, and, and, and I remember, like, when I was a kid, the Olympics were, the Winter and Summer Olympics would be in the same year, and uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly when they switched that, but I think I, and, and again, I was a kid, so, like, my, my tastes and opinions weren't fully formed yet, but I think I liked that better than the way it is now, because now it's like, oh, every two years, it's like, oh, it's the Olympics, so it's basically every other year, there, it is every other year, there is an Olympics, right, and and I felt like when it was like, oh, every four years, like, this is the Olympics year, we're going to deal with the Olympics for a while now and, and pay attention for it this year, and then you go back to not paying attention for the next three years. And it kind of gives you, like, a little, um, and just from, like, sports fans' perspective, it kind of bookends your life a little bit, you know, like, you start, like, affiliating certain moments of your life with certain sporting events. So you kind of have very clear memories of, like, uh, uh, of England losing in each individual World Cup, the pain on each individual loss uh, building up to this moment. Like, you kind of remember where you were around the constant of England always losing. Um, right, like, if, if they held the NCAA tournament every four years instead of every single year, I would have a much firmer grasp on which embarrassing way Georgetown was eliminated each time, right? Exactly. Whereas now, it's just like all kind of a mash of sad memories for me. Exactly. I remember being young and hopeful when England crushed me in 1998. I remember being a little more sort of, uh, a little more like, a little more scared in 2002. I remember being uh, completely pessimistic in 2006. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I guess the that does hold some personal meaning. A couple other quadrennial events worth noting. Uh, the Dressage World Championships. Do you know anything about Dressage? I don't, know. That's when they get on the horse and the horse, like, dances and stuff. Oh, yeah, I know what Dressage is, but okay. I didn't know about the... Uh, I didn't know about the... Yeah, they have... And an interesting thing I noticed about Dressage is that this is a, uh, a sport where the genders were were integrated from really, I think, from day one, at least based on the Dressage World Championships. Like, you go back to the 40s and 50s, and there are both women and men winning, winning events. So I don't know what that's worth uh, in the grand scheme of things, but, like, hey, Dressage, like, way out in front of, like, yeah, integrating I, these things. I, I actually wrote ex about exactly this, about how I got really into uh, horse riding, uh, during the Olympics, watching it, of course, not doing it, um, though my girlfriend was a equestrian at the University of South Carolina. But so anyway, um, and that was one thing that I thought was really cool. Like from day one, the sport was, uh, uh, day one in the Olympics, the sport was integrated. Um, both it was, uh, it was the only one where both genders were competing alongside each other for the same medal. And not only is it diverse in terms of gender, it's really diverse in terms of age, too. Huh. Um, the most diverse. You have, um, you, I think, before, not this Olympics, unfortunately, he didn't, uh, he didn't come, but his name uh, is escaping me, but he was a 64-year-old who, um, I believe, medaled in the Olympics previous to these, and then he was competing alongside 19-year-olds, um, which is really cool in itself. 
I mean, it, I guess that the the main thing is that like it's not dressage is not about any sort of physical characteristics that would prevent a sixty four year old from competing with a nineteen year old. It's just like how well do you know your horse, right? And like maybe that sixty four year old guy has like the best relationship ever with his horse, and so he's able to pull off. I don't know. I don't know anything about the world of dressage, so I guess anything I'm gonna say is gonna be complete BS, right? But uh. It does look it does look funny when the horse dances. I'll tell you that much. And <laughs> I think that like in the if people remember dressage in the political realm, because uh, one of the things that sort of cost Mitt Romney in the public eye was that he had this horse, this dressage horse named Rafalka, and they would cut to clips of Rafalka doing this like little silly horse dance thing, and it just seemed like the most elitist activity there could be. <laughs> like uh, rich people being so bored that they can uh, yeah, they, like they make the horse ways dance to, com to compete their horses to dance. Yeah. Um, also, um, the uh, one we haven't mentioned, the World Baseball Classic, which is coming up this year, is a quadrennial event. Um, kind of a fun one. I like it. Most baseball fans aren't into it. It's at a weird time because they run it during spring training, which means no one's sort of going. No one's really there, you know, where they need to be for the real baseball season, and so I think a lot of fans, uh, understandably, get nervous about injuries in the World Baseball Classic, because they've happened, so, you know, you care mostly about how this guy is going to perform for your team, not how he's going to perform for your country or his country, and so it's a curiously timed event. I love the idea, and I and I like it. I like watching it because it seems like the players legitimately care, um, and that's that's fun to me. It's it's better than spring training baseball, which is your other baseball option for that period of time. But I would say I would rather see it almost as like if they're going to do it once every four years, then like maybe even shorten the regular baseball season that year in terms of games, and instead of the All Star game one every, once every four years, hold like a 32-team single-game el elimination baseball event in a central location, uh, like almost like the baseball Olympics. And it's you know, and and again, like one game is ridiculous to, for deciding which baseball team is better. But I think you sort of accept that it would. In that case, you'd sort of accept it as a randomness thing, and you would see lousy teams make you know sort of get lucky and make deep runs. And I think that would kind of be a fun thing to watch. Yeah, that would, it seems like that it would be it would be especially harsh in baseball to have them compete uh, once every four years because, as you said, there's such an element of randomness, right? right and then right. like having them do it like one game once every four years, it's just like a total toss-up. Well, and they're already I mean they're already doing it once every four years, and and it is if, whether it's a a three-game series or a one-game series, it's it's all up to randomness, you know. So. I don't know. I, I feel like there's a. I feel like I don't know that I have the best solution for doing it, but I feel like there's a better way it could be executed where it would actually capture more people's attention, um, and you'd actually be dealing with players uh, working at the peak of their physical ability. It's a like which they're not in spring training. At least most guys, right? And and I think that if you're a team, you don't really want a guy going full tilt in the World Baseball Classic, if, especially if it's a pitcher. You need him dialing back, and you need him shortened because you want him to be ready to go 200 innings in the season. It's a complicated thing. Uh, I just think it, I like it. I like it in concept. I know a lot of baseball fans don't, uh, but I'm, I'm into the actual idea. I don't uh, care that much of, because of what it is, it just makes it sort of, it's like a, it's like, it's like mock baseball. It's like almost like a, a real meaningful baseball contest, but then there are all these restrictions happening. Um, last one I've got of quadrennial events, and I'm only mentioning it because it sounds uh, it sounds like a really cool thing, and, it do, and I looked it up and it doesn't seem that cool. The vintage yachting games are every four years. Now, I hoped that this meant, like, pirate stuff, like you're dealing with, like, you know, boats from the 18-teens or whatever, but the boats look fairly contemporary in the vintage yachting games. I think maybe vintage yachting is, like, the, the code of the sport, but they're not using vintage yachts, and so that's what's upsetting to me there. That is upsetting. It's in name only, it sounds like. Uh, it is in, in vintage in name only. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so that's, that's what we've got for quadrennial events. Uh, quick one. 
What this is for you. This is from Charles, or another one of our colleagues and a uh, past podcast guest, Charles Curtis, wants to know. This is for you. You were pulling for the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. What food would you eat that you hate to see the Falcons win? Like, what's the what's the wor- craziest thing, the worst thing you're willing to eat to see the Falcons win? Hmm, this is tough to like conjure up just in myself. Like, I w- I feel like I would uh, I would certainly push the limit in order to see what. Uh, in order to see the Falcons wing. And, like, I'm just trying to think, like, I've always been especially grossed out by the idea of, like, eating grasshoppers. Like, I know many people who have. But, you know, the, the idea of eating bugs has just never never appealed to me mm-hmm. at all. But I think I'd be ready to eat a few grasshoppers in order to see the Falcons win. I'm um, going to tell you two things. I'm going to hit you with two things. First of all, I've eaten deep-fried scorpions, and they were really good. Uh, See, but like scorpions don't gross me out as much as like a locust or something. A locust would be pretty gross. Right? Like, they're just gross-looking little critters. It's like, same with grasshoppers. Uh, I don't know. Sorry, I don't... The scorpions tasted like exactly like Lay's potato chips. Or like soft-shell crab, I'd imagine them tasting like or something. And they they kind of look similar. There was no meat to them. It was just crunch. You know, it was just like salty, fried crunch. It really wasn't bad. Yeah, we we I, got them sort of, it was in China, we got them on like a dare, you know, like, oh my god, are we going to try these deep fried scorpions? And we we got some, and I ate one, and I was like, okay, and like everybody sort of snibbled at them, and I wound up, I was just like, yeah, I'll eat the rest of those, they're good. Yeah, I, I feel, like, I'm a lot more grossed out by the idea of eating a snail than a scorpion. Okay, um, yeah, I think that's fair. Snails are, are weird and gooey. Like the um, weird, gray, but, uh, gooey, yeah. Uh. I will also say that um, and this is I, something I say as someone who has never in my life as a conscious sports fan. Uh, there, Some of my teams have won in my lifetime, but never while I was really fully paying attention. I have never in my conscious lifetime seen one of my teams win a championship in any sport. Uh, and so I don't think there is an edible food I would not eat for to know what that's about. Right, like as long as I mean, if you're asking me to eat to drink hemlock, I'm not going to do that, right? But if you're saying, if you're saying like, like, oh, like I happen to find tuna salad completely repulsive, like the smell of tuna just grosses me out, I would eat five tuna salad sandwiches happily <laughs> to to watch any of my teams win. It's just like it's just not that big of a sacrifice. People do eat that. I don't understand why it's gross. Well, yeah, but like I feel like Charles is trying. Like, would you eat like a dog sandwich or something in order to eat it in order to see? Uh, well, so I I don't know if you saw the uh, most recent episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, but it it. Uh, sort of grappled with that issue and, and <laughs> its conclusion was that like basically you can come back from anything on the internet except not liking dogs. So I will go with a no comment on that, but people, I mean people legitimately do eat dogs. Like, I love dogs. I love dogs. People eat dogs, right? Like that's... Which, and, is why I, which is why I asked, yeah. And the point that Dennis was making on the show was that if you eat fried chicken or you eat cow and you're like so protective of dogs like where where I don't know where is that line why is there a line there somewhere where it's like oh it's totally cool to eat all these animals but not these animals because like more people have these animals in their home and love them right and like Again, I've had dogs in my home and loved them very much, but it is weird that there is some sort of, like, moral line there that's just based on, like, oh, well, these are the popular domestic animals. Yeah, it's Right, like, if everyone had a pet pig, and people used to have pet pigs, if everyone had a pet pig, would we not eat pork anymore? And then, like, would you want to live in that world? I don't know. Yeah, it's not even, like, a mammal thing as much as it is just, like, a pure emotional, like, I I have a lot of, I have a lot of memories about dogs, so therefore I could never bring myself to eat a dog. But when you you go, if you go to a, if you're driving around a farm or you see, uh, you pass a farm and you can get an up-close look at cows, cows are adorable. You see a, a calf, it's like the cutest little thing. And I then I will like frequently go from there to my next stop to eat beef because beef is delicious, right? And so I, I don't know. Like I don't know that it lines up to me. 
Um, yeah, or like lambs, like what, what like in what, what about a little lamb or something? Those are like so cute, but we we eat a lot of lamb in this country. Right? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that was like a sort of a classic family story in my family. It was my my grandmother's family, which is so odd to understand that like there was a time when people living in Queens just like regularly had pet goats, but they had a pet goat. Um, I, I don't know why. I don't know how they came to the pet goat. I don't know that part of the story. But during the Great Depression, they had to eat their pet. They they had to eat their pet goat, and like I get it. I eat goat, right? Like it would be super sad because you love that goat. That's your pet goat. But also, it's sadder not to eat. And they had to eat, they had to part with a pet goat and eat the goat. Uh, and again, like a good curried goat, like from a Jamaican place, that's delicious, even if it's your family friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is dark. Let's. Yeah, this uh, took a dark turn, Charles. <laughs> uh, I'm Ted. Well, Charles. No, I'm, is... I'm referring to Charles's tweet. Okay. Like... Um, well, Charles has led us down a dark road. Um, but we're gonna come back with more questions and answers in a second. First. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports the For the Win podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work someone you can trust who has your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mo Mortgage, you get a, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence you need to make an informed decision. Don't waste your time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com FTW. That's quickenloans.com FTW, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, Luke, let's get back uh, to another question. This next one comes uh, from, this is, we're going to, I don't want to get back to food right now. We got a couple more food ones. Um, I'm going to skip to, I, I, I had them lined up poorly, but let's go with a, with, let's go with a sports question, a fun sports question. Um, and and it was asked in the framework of baseball, but I would welcome you to uh, give me any anything you, any giveaway you can think of. This is E. G. Schofield, not his real name, dude. I've met in real life. Uh, he asks you to please rank the top five fan giveaways in descending order. He says, please consider gnomes as separate from bobbleheads. I guess baseball is kind of the foremost fan giveaway sport. Am I right in that? Yeah, in soccer, they give away flags occasionally, or maybe scarves if you're lucky. But yeah, baseball really is out in front in, in something like this. And, and like football, you don't have to do a giveaway, right? Because people are gonna you're gonna sell out your football game one way or the other. I mean, if you're as unless your team is atrocious, so you don't need to worry about giveaways. Baseball, you got 162 games. You got to come up with some reason people are gonna come to a Wednesday night game in April. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In soccer, uh, I just forgot, they do uh, give away, like, free beer occasionally, and that's always, like, a blockbuster whenever they do that. Um, uh, free beer seems like an atrocious idea for a sporting Well, you, they limit it to, like, two or something, okay. but still, it's an atrocious idea. That is a bad, that's a bad plan. That's what happened. They had five-cent beer night at a baseball game in the 70s. Uh, it was, like, turn back the clock, five-cent beer night, and I think there was a riot. Um, so don't, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't work. I think, uh, yeah, I also remember like a baseball giveaway night when I was a kid where everyone threw the baseballs on the field. That was a bad plan. I will also note now, and this is before I get into the top giveaways for me, I went to an Islanders game when I was like nine years old and the Islanders were terrible and it was dental hygiene awareness night at the Islanders game and dental hygiene awareness night meant they gave you a picture, uh, like a, uh, it was like a, probably a legal-sized, maybe slightly larger poster of a prominent Islanders player. I want to say it was Pat LaFontaine, because he was the dude on the Islanders at that, at that time. Just, it was just a poster of him with a, life, with a giant, like a human-sized toothbrush. And uh, like about midway through the second period, the Islanders were down by, I think, four goals, and one toothbrush poster folded into a paper airplane sort of slowly meandered its way down onto the ice 
and it gave everybody in Nassau Coliseum an idea. And within minutes, the ice was just covered with paper airplanes because these things happened to be the perfect size and sort of like the stock of, of paper they had was perfect for paper airplanes. They flew really well. Ice got covered. They had to stop the game, sweep up all, and like for a while, like there was just they were just raining down. And like if, if you didn't, if they didn't make it, people would just pick them up and, and throw them on. Islanders fans very very rowdy bunch. Uh, so they had to stop it. They had to stop the the hockey game. They had to sweep everything up. And then as soon as play started again, there was like a thousand more that all just immediately came onto the ice. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Uh, but that's not the, that's besides the point. And, and I, so, I mean, you've been to baseball games. Have you ever gotten anything? No, I haven't. I forget one time they were giving away, uh, I thought it was, I can't remember what it, what it was. I think it was like a bobblehead or something. It was pretty generic, but I was really amped. I was like going to do it. And um, they were so long gone by the time I got there, and I got there pretty early. Um, so, yeah, I, they're pretty limited. Well, what, they only give out like a few thousand, right? And assuming like, what twenty thousand people it depends. go to a I mean, No, it, it it depends on the giveaway. Like some, yeah, the bobbleheads are usually in such high demand that they limit them. I I don't know. Um, that's that's it depends on the the place and you know what they set as. But yeah, it'll be like ten thousand or twenty thousand or like first ten thousand people under fourteen, and then you, you see people like sort of scrambling to prove that they're under fourteen, which is a tough thing to do because you're not carrying a license. Uh, but you know they usually it depends on the park. They'll usually give it to a sixteen-year-old kid, as at least was my experience at sixteen. But I don't go for bobbleheads. I don't go for bobbleheads. Yeah, no, I, I've been to a few Savannah Sandnats games uh, before they moved. At Historic Grayson Stadium. Historic Grayson Stadium, that's right. Um, and uh, I, I, never got, I never got a promotion, but I know they ran all kinds of cool ones there. Looking back, perhaps I regret not going to one. Minor league teams do a really good job with promotions. They have to, right? That's like part of the, the spiel with minor league baseball is it's a little bit of a show. Um, I'm going to say I'm not into collectibles, and I think that's kind of across the board. Uh, I loved baseball cards when I was a little kid, but basically since then I've never had like big collections of of anything, uh, except I guess enemies, you know. So, <laughs> um, so I'm more into giveaways that I might actually use. So I looked up, um, I looked up good. I, I I had to seek the internet's advice on this. Uh, and found a few people saying, like, these are the best baseball giveaways. These are the best I found, are the ones that appealed to me most. Um, mugs, some places give away mugs sometimes. I can always use a mug, right? If it's a mug with Buster Posey on it, if it's a beer stein with the Cardinals on it, that's cool. I'll drink out of whatever, like, it doesn't, I don't need to endorse whatever it says on my mug necessarily. And I feel like I drink enough coffee that I break some mugs sometimes. You can always use a replacement mug. I'll take a mug all day. Uh... The Brewers last year gave out a Bob Euchre talking alarm clock. I currently am dealing with a broken alarm clock. Could very much use Bob Euchre speaking to me right now. Um, Bob Euchre's hilarious. He was in Major League. Everybody knows that. Uh, would be happy to. It would be a fun way to wake up in the morning. Uh, the I feel like, I feel like like a mug too is one of these classic things where like you can you kind of can buy like an unlimited amount of them and not really care, right? Like there are, as course, a threshold where you can buy too many mugs, but um, the difference between like five and six mugs, really, you won't really notice a difference. You right, know? right. Yeah, you notice the difference between like three and four if you have people over and you're serving them coffee, right? Yeah. But once, you're, once you've got adequate mugs for the number of guests you might reasonably have in your apartment, then that's as many mugs as you need, and you can get a, you sort of, I don't know, it sort of varies around a magic number for me. Like, maybe we have eight mugs here, and then, like, sometimes it gets down to six mugs, and then sometimes it, it beefs up to ten mugs, and then, you know, whatever. It, it, that's it's, what I mean. The difference between, like, six mugs and fourteen mugs is, like, relatively little. Like, you probably won't even notice It's it. just about storage space at that point. Exactly, yeah. Um, other things I've liked, uh, the Red Sox last year gave away a uh, Im like an, an imitation. It wasn't real gold, I assume. A David Ortiz necklace, so you could have like the same bling as David Ortiz. I love that idea. I would I would rock that to a Red Sox game if I were a Red Sox fan for sure. 
Uh, the Phillies gave away vintage baseball socks, which were really cool. They were like high socks with the old Phillies logo that I happen to like on it. Uh, and cool, like their old sort of maroonish color. I would wear socks, right? I wear socks. I need socks. Socks is something I run out of sometimes. Happy to have that. And I think my top giveaway, and this is nuts, um, because I have so many freaking t-shirts, but I really like getting a t-shirt because uh, you kind of need to keep your, like, gym sort of painting. Like, you're, like you're down. I, I have separate t-shirt piles for, like, wearing in public and wearing to the gym and to, like, things that might require my t-shirt get dirty or sweaty or gross. And I feel like I need to refresh those every so often. And getting a free t-shirt at a baseball game is a great way to do that. Many of those t-shirts for me are free ones I got at baseball games. It's also like kind of, it's also the uniform for working on the internet too. So um, it always comes in handy those moments. Right, right. So we are yeah. So we're people who need t-shirts in daily life. I would say probably when I was going when I had to wear a real shirt to work every day, a t-shirt was less valuable to me because I had all the t-shirts I needed. Now that I've got like a full-blown like a really complicated t-shirt staff going on, it's always nice to have just sort of. Uh, and to, in the baseball metaphor, to have, like, fresh arms in your bullpen, right? And so, like, you get a new T-shirt. The Mets give out a T-shirt every Friday. You go on a Friday, you get a T-shirt. Then I got something to wear to the gym the next day if all, if all my, the rest of my gym T-shirts are in the laundry. Yeah, no, ex exactly. And, and, again, it's also um, the difference between having 10 T-shirts and 20 T-shirts. Like, you just won't even notice, really, apart from storage. Uh, I got a food question, and I don't know if you're going to have a take on this one. Uh, this is from Raphael Jerez, who is at Jeraf, uh, that's, oh, I, you know what, I didn't get that until I read it out loud. It's like Jeraf, right, but it's also part of his name. That's his Twitter handle. Uh, he wants to know, will you try the new chicken parm lasagna at Carrabba's, and what do you think of it? Have you ever been to Carrabba's? Do you know Carrabba's? I have been to Carrabba's, yeah, many times while on the road, traveling around for golf tournaments. Yeah, and, and that, is, um, that is the case for me. I, so I'm uh, half Italian. My mom's Italian. So my, really my, the best things I can make are all Italian foods, and I know that whenever I go home to my family, to see my family, we're going to eat Italian food. So I get like all my Italian food at home when I'm in New York. Um, I very, very rarely go out to eat Italian, but I have found that uh, on the road, Carrabba's is, like, for the standards of, like, your casual dining establishment, like, on that, like, Chili's, Applebee's, Fridays, uh, Cheesecake Factory, chain restaurant standard, Carrabba's gives you a lot of food, and it's fairly good food, and uh, it comes with a lot of, it comes with bread, it comes with sides, it's like, I, basically I'm thinking, I'm going to be staying in Port St. Lucie, Florida, where the Mets practice in a couple of weeks when I'm down there for spring training. I will almost certainly eat at the Carabas at one time. I do not expect I would eat chicken parm lasagna there, just because it feels like more food than I probably want. Like, that feels like something that's just going to sit really heavy, and then I'm going to regret the next day. Um, I don't I don't disagree with it in concept, right? I'm all about... And maybe you're more conservative on this, but I'm all about trying everything, right? Like, if, like I, why chicken parm lasagna? That makes sense, right? I eat chicken parm with pasta. Why wouldn't I bake chicken parm into the lasagna? I feel like I'm not sure I want that. I want to try that. I want to cross that Rubicon at Carrabba's. I'd rather have, like, a great Italian restaurant give me the chicken parm lasagna. But I, there, I have nothing against that in concept. Yeah, no, I, I don't have anything just in cause. I guess I don't fully understand, like, what it is. Like, is it is it layers of chicken, or is it layers of pasta with chicken in between? Um, and so I guess I don't quite understand what it is, but, like, I love chicken parm. Italian food is one of my absolute favorite genres of food, so I would I would definitely try it. I, I, I would try it at Carabas. I have nothing against Carabas. Um, I, I, I uh, yeah, no, long, long story short, I would definitely try it. Some people are, like, get bent out of shape about, like, authenticity of things, and uh, we've talked about this on the show before, I think, and, like, I just never, I never, like, I've had, a, I've had someone tell me, like, well, you shouldn't eat that burrito, because a burrito has lettuce in it, and burritos were originally for farm workers to take out to fields, and so they couldn't have lettuce in there, because they wouldn't have access to, to fresh lettuce, or the lettuce that they did have would wilt by the time they ate it hours later. And it's like, but the lettuce is good in the burrito. The lettuce is good in the burrito. 
I don't understand, like, just because this is the way it was eaten, and, like, you know, all due respect to the farm workers who were brilliant enough to invent burritos, I don't really get why we shouldn't be constantly striving to improve upon all of our things, and that means throwing lettuce in it and making it quote-unquote inauthentic. I don't really care. I don't really care, um, you know, the what the history behind the thing I'm eating is. I just want to eat it. And also, like, we're so far past, like, what like a standard like this is an authentic food i mean chicken palm pretty sure wasn't <laughs> wasn't invented right like and like, well because the thing is like how far back do you want to go right like exactly. where where are you sticking that like that that measuring stick and being like no this is the like okay it's 1870 any food consumed in 1870 is authentic and anything created since then is is inauthentic new cultural mixing things that we don't want to do Every good food, every good food comes from, like, cultural crossovers, right? Like, pasta itself was not invented, we know, right? I, I don't think it was actually Marco Polo that brought it from China, but pasta was, was brought to Italy, right? There was a time when, but, but no one would say, oh, pasta, that's not, Ital that's not authentic Italian food because it didn't exist there in, in 1180, right? It's just, at some point, that just became Italian food. And so, I feel like we're just plowing forward, right? At some point, banh mi became Vietnamese food. The, the Vietnamese didn't have French bread unless the French were there, and that's the example I've, I think I've used before on the show. Um, but now, that's, now they serve that at a Vietnamese restaurant, you can't say, well, this is all inauthentic because it only comes from the French influence on Vietnam. No, exactly right. Um, yeah, it really just, it's a, I, I, I understand that there are certain uh, cuisines that like coalesce around certain ideas, but like um, the point where we say like, okay, at this point it stopped becoming like truly authentic. I mean, like if, if, if you're in America or you're in New York and you like Chinese food in New York, like that is not, that is not Chinese food. Yeah. That's, that is an American it's Ameri uh, take but it, on Chinese food. But it's still authentically food, right? Oh, like it's abso edible. Absolutely. And oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. And, it's, saying, and like, like I would even say like it's its own kind of interesting subculture, American Chinese food. And those things, the General Tso's chicken that they're not necessarily eating in China is authentic to the American Chinese cultural tradition, right? Oh, the yeah, the, the, but, the but, tradition of American Chinese food. Oh yeah, but what I'm, but I, I was just pointing that out as an example, as like if somebody was to make like ses a sesame chicken sandwich or something, and the counter argument is like, oh, I would never eat that because it's not authentic. It's like, well, we're like step five away from being authentic. So and well, like, and like people will be like, oh, that's you know, that's cultural appro appropriation, and it's this and it's that, and like, well, here's my like think piece about this new food thing, and I'm always just like, and like I, I don't know, I get that there are sensitive times. Uh, that's how it came up before was that was in the Columbus Circle Whole Foods sort of co-opting a traditional New York bodega sandwich, the chopped cheese. And, and like, I get that that's not good, but I think that my solution to that would be, well, I'm just not going to spend $13 for that sandwich at Whole Foods when I can get it for four fifty at the bodega down the block, right? And that's that's the answer for me. If it's the same thing, I don't need the Whole Foods version of it. But if it's if it's Whole Foods bringing me some food that I don't have easy access to, and it's good, and I want to eat it, then yeah, sure, I'm going to eat it, right? Like, ultimately, I'm very selfish, I guess, in this aspect. I just want to eat good food, and it doesn't really matter to me, like, all of the history behind it if it's good. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, good. We're on the same page. Uh, next question. Uh, we're going to go, this is, uh, I, I, the next, that one was not a good one for involving you. Um, okay, we're going to involve you on this. Over under 2029 for ads on Major League Baseball uniforms. You root for sports where people, uh, where people advertise, I think, you know, not, I don't want to say shamelessly. Well, soccer, like the team, like there's no team name sometimes. It's just an advertisement, right? That's, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty shameless. Yeah, okay, no, but, but I, I was thinking of golf, right, where it's like it's, there's, there's a little bit of shame there, right? Like you're not like plastering Nike all over yourself if you're Tiger Woods, but you're very obviously, and not anymore, right, but you're very obviously wearing Nike stuff or whoever your sponsor is. Yeah, you're basically a billboard. I would, 2029, I would take the under on that for sure. Um, the only thing thing so the only thing that I would say I, I I could see it not happening if um because if you look at the way revenues break down with sports teams 
there, as, even if they were to adopt these things, like if you look at English Premier League soccer teams, which again, like, has a sponsor plastered on the very, you know, bigger than the badges on the uniforms, um, it, the revenue breakdown is still so disproportionately coming from the TV deal, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. um, even though these advertisers are paying a lot of money, like, uh, in a lot of these cases for these placements, it's still um, in the region of sort of... 20 to 30 percent of their overall revenue and that's not to say it's a lot like if if I offered to give if somebody offered me a 20 to 30 percent raise I'd be pumped you know but again like that might be the one thing that's holding back is that it's not the TV deal is always going to be issue number one at least for the foreseeable future well and you, and you have to look at the balance of like how many fewer jerseys are you going to sell if you're plastering them with ads exactly I mean but, but that said like I think if if not just in sports, but in business, like when there's money on the table, the uh, people in charge will usually take it, right? So uh, I would take the under. That's true. That's true. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm, no, I got to take the under. I wanted to be a hopeful uh, punk rock optimist here and say like, no, they'll never give in to branding. It'll happen. Um, I hope that it's not big logos plastered across the chest because I sometimes wear, like I said, I have a lot of baseball t-shirts, and like, and no offense if you own a lot of soccer kits, it's called kits, what do you call them? Kits? It is, it is, and I don't, so don't worry. Okay, I could never fathom, like, spending money on, like, an authentic soccer shirt that says Fly Emirates across the front. Right, you're just like paying a lot of money to make yourself a billboard. If Emirates Air wanted to pay me to wear that, sure, like sign me up. Great, it's a great airline. I, it's like super luxurious. They have TVs on every seat. It's great, but I'm not gonna wear that. Like just vol and and I'm weird like that. I think compared to most people, because it's like a a fairly important thing to me that I. I don't have logos on my clothes most of the time. Like I would never wear a sweatshirt that says the brand on it or a T-shirt that says the brand on it. I don't get it. I don't get why people do that, really, other than, like, conspicu conspicuous consumption. Um, I'm not into being a billboard. I, I feel like if you want me to have it say Gap on my shirt, Gap should be paying me for that, to have the endorsement of Ted Berg. Yeah, and, and, and I think the answer to that is that they don't buy it for that. That's like a, uh, you know, if, if they, it's just a unfortunate... Or it's just something that they accept because they want the shirt. They like the way the shirt looks. They want the badge, essentially. They want the name on the back. And then uh, for those sort of three pluses, they swallow the one negative of having fly emeralds. Right, plus. right. And like you know, you know, by all means, if you wanna, if you wanna walk around as a billboard, do it. I don't, I don't, I don't care. You know, I just, it's not. I don't think I would be able to rationalize paying, especially with the money that people pay for, like, authentic sports memorabilia and jerseys and stuff, to me, it would be a really tough pill to, I mean, I, I don't own any actual authentic jerseys myself anyway, you know, it's not like a, it's not a, I mean, it's weird as a member of the press to be, like, spending tons of money to go rep a team, it's not really all that professional, and also, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of money for a shirt, but again, like, I get that that's a thing, and I get that you want to support your team. For me, it would be a much tougher pill to swallow if supporting your team meant just being, like, a free advertisement for some huge corporation that isn't my team, because that's another type of huge corporation. No, I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, what are your three favorite foods to eat at a baseball game? That is a loaded question for me. Do you have three favorite baseball foods? I don't know if I have three favorite, but I will say that I I'm not a huge fan. I, I'm not a huge fan of ballpark foods that require you getting uh, or that are really difficult to eat. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I think that's often an overlooked factor in a lot of these things. Um, is that you know the yeah this sandwich looks amazing, but it's also going to be next to impossible to eat when you're surrounded by a bunch of people and uh, sort of crammed into a tight corner and you have this huge sandwich falling apart around you. So like this is why I always kind of lean towards like. Uh, something even as simple as like a, a good set of nachos or something. Like I, I, I think uh, uh, finger food is is highly 
um, overlooked in, in, in these kind of situations. Yeah, I want food that's... I would even find nachos a little bit, like, ungainly, because you're going to have to stand up and sit down, stand up and sit down, and you have to have, like, a tray for that. That's why I think, like, the hot dog is so great, because it, you can hold it in your hand and eat it, right? Like, it doesn't... doesn't it requires only one hand at all times. Uh, I would speak... Speaking in specific terms, and I don't know, like, I, and I'm trying to, like... There's, I've eaten so much ballpark food in my life that it's very hard to narrow it down and be like, that's the best thing I've ever had at a ballpark. Two things that immediately jump to mind, and one of them is in the aforementioned Port St. Lucie, Florida, which is like not a notable park in most other ways. It's a Met Spring training complex. For whatever reason there, they uh, heat their pretzels over a charcoal grill. And, like, all the pretzel places have little charcoal grills going, and they're heating their pretzels. It is so much better than every other ballpark pretzel. And it's the same pretzel, right? It's clearly supplied by someone that's, that's also supplying all the other ballparks. But having the pretzel, like, actually hot and toasty over the charcoal grill is incredible. And the number one best food I've ever eaten in a ballpark, um, and it's, it's mostly con con contextual, I was on a long baseball road trip with my friends, like sort of, uh, so right out of college I was working in high school, so I had all summers off. Uh, a bunch of my friends didn't have jobs or had flexibility or whatever, so uh, four of my friends and I all went on a road trip that sort of, I think we hit like 15 different major and minor league parks. We made like a giant like 6,000 mile drive that basically made like an eye in the middle of the country. Uh, and, and somewhere in the middle of that, after we had basically only been eating fast food and ballpark food for a week and a half, we went to Peoria and saw a minor league game in Peoria and they were serving fresh grilled corn, just corn on the cob. And, you know, it's the middle of corn country in the middle of the summer. The corn was so, just like having an actual, and corn is not like the healthiest vegetable, but having something that wasn't processed, greasy, fast food at that moment was like the best thing imaginable to me. <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. Uh, all right, we got a couple more. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find a non-baseball one to, to keep you in the mix here. Uh, I will go real quick. This guy, uh, this is a, brand, a baseball one, but my friend Brendan wants to know if you think Tigers prospect Joey Pancake has a future in the majors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can take that one away, Ted. I have no idea. Uh, I hope so. Uh, what is the best cheese for a grilled cheese? Ah, interesting. Um, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I quite like, uh, although I like, all, uh, I'm a big cheddar cheese guy. Um, I think like uh, I, I quite like a, just a straight American cheese with maybe some, some sneaky slices of bacon in there. Maybe. With you, 100%. Uh, people beat up on American cheese. It's it's obviously processed and it's obviously like sort of like it's not it's not highbrow food. I get that, but no other cheese melts as well as American cheese. Every other cheese, it, the oil separates and it makes your makes your sandwich really greasy. To me, if you're if you're making a grilled cheese, like I don't know, like baseline, I like American cheese on there. I like the way it tastes. It gets really nice and creamy. There's an emulsifying salt in there that was invented by Kraft, and that's why it melts that way. That's a fun fact. And, that is a fun fact. And I find that it melts the best. It's also like I think it is. Um, and this is from Brian Powers, who's at Gringo in Brazil. He also wants to know what's best for a burger. I think that's a more complicated discussion, and we're sort of late in the show, and I don't want to open that realm. But I would say I'm a I'm a staunch defender of American cheese on a burger as well, just because of how nicely it melts on things. Yeah, I'm, American cheese, look, is not my favorite cheese, um, but, I, but I, for, for, the, for a grilled cheese sandwich, I, I, I think it's a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. Last question, um, I don't know that you're going to have uh, a lot of input on, uh, and this one comes from Christian Dowd, at Dowdissimo on Twitter. He wants to know if I think Terry Collins, the Mets manager, will be on the hot seat if the Mets come out cold in April and May. And I'll do this quick, uh, only because, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, if the Mets are horrible, maybe. You know, like Collins is one of the oldest managers in baseball. I don't know that he expects to manage for that much longer. I don't know that, you know, the Mets are committed to him for the long term. They know they're going to need to have a new manager at some point. If it becomes clear that something's gone awry this season, yeah, I mean, you can't fire the whole team, and, and baseball teams do tend to fire the manager. But 
Terry Collins took the Mets to the World Series in 2015, and he took a team that was riddled by injuries to the postseason in 2016. Now, he uh, does not have a great reputation as a tactical manager for bullpen moves, for, for how to play his guys, for how to line up his guys, but I think that... And I think that this is the disconnect between fans and teams themselves, is that I think that there's a lot more to managing and probably more important aspects to managing uh, than just the actual tactical on-the-field stuff. I don't think it makes as big of a difference as we think it does, because I think that the the range of what managers might do in any given situation is so small that... I don't know that any other manager is necessarily going to be better than Terry Collins because I think that the manager is working with information we don't have for one thing, and a lot of times that is behind uh, what why a player is not playing. Actually, we saw a great example of this with Collins a few years back. Uh, the Mets were not playing outfielder Juan Lagares. Fans were really into Juan Lagares. They wanted to know why Juan Lagares wasn't playing. Uh, he sat down for three or four straight days. Everybody was about to, ready to revolt. Fire this guy. He's not playing Juan Lagares. Turned out Juan Lagares' aunt had died. His, his aunt had raised him, uh, and he, he was, like, dealing with the fact that his, his aunt was sick, and, 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 then went going, and then he ultimately went on the bereavement list to go home to, to his aunt's memorial service, right? Like, there were real-life things acting upon that guy, and his manager knowingly protected him by not playing him and by not forcing him to go speak to the media about the sad, real-life stuff happening to him. And I think there's a lot of that in baseball, maybe not quite that heavy, but little things. You know, my kid is sick, and I was up all night because she was throwing up, and now, I, like, there's no way I can pitch today. I didn't sleep a, a wink. You don't say before the game, I can't use this guy. You just don't use that guy because because you don't want your, the other team knowing you can't use that guy. Um, I think there's a lot of little details like that that go into it, but I think more than anything, if you're a member of the team that made the World Series in 2015 and got to the playoffs with half the team on the disabled list in 2016, and you like the manager, you like playing for the manager, you, you have felt he's given you, he's been communicative, which by all, by all accounts Terry Collins very much is, uh, and you feel like he is a man you trust, it is a horrible message to send to the team to say, well, we're going to can this guy that you all like because the results over these three weeks aren't what we wanted, right? When he's the guy who brought you those results the last two years, you know? And, and so I think that, yeah, Mets fans might love it. if they're, And I think that this, this you can extend to basically all 30 major league teams. There's like three managers that fans actually like in sports, uh, in baseball at least. I'm sure this is true in, in every other sport, and you can speak to that. But I think that uh, there's... It's a different, it would say, it, it might make fans rejoice, but I think that it might upset the players a lot, and I think that a lot of a manager's job, even more than, like, tactical things, is just, like, keeping the players happy and motivated, and just being, like, an actual people manager. Yeah, I will say that, um, with all due respect, and I fall into this trap too with my own teams, is that sports fans are generally, like, terrible at, at, at both recognizing a good coach uh, when they have one, and also at, like, the reasons for wanting to fire a, a coach that they perceive as being not a good coach or something. Like, a good, well-structured, modern sports organization should be able to uh, cycle through managers without without losing much of a step. They shouldn't have to rebuild, uh, or be so dependent, rather, on one person they have to rebuild every time they leave. Um, and that said, they should also, um, I think, in the modern era where there's um, really intelligent sort of analytics on the back end of stuff and GMs calling uh, personnel shots in so many different ways that um, a good manager in many cases is one who doesn't screw up, is one who doesn't uh, alienate the players, who doesn't um, make a boneheaded call or bad clock management decision. And even though they, these are sort of taken as fundamentals in, uh, uh, among a lot of sports fans, um, they're really a lot easier said than done. If, if you have a coach in football, for example, who can manage the clock well and who can keep his players happy that's and motivated, that's really all you're looking for in a lot of cases. You know, like you will have these ingenious head coaches that come along every now and again, but um, for the most part, like, you simply need to be like a fundamentally sound uh, coach in order to get the best out of um, the talent around you. Yeah, and, and like I think that uh, our tendency is when the 
coach or manager makes the right choice, then that means the player performs, and so we say the player is the hero, right? And when the coach or manager makes what we perceive to be the wrong choice, or just like sort of post hoc ergo propter hoc analysis, right? Like it, it happened and therefore it is. Um, it, it is to say like that was the wrong choice. Uh, and a, an example that came up with Steven a few weeks ago was uh, the play at the end of the Super Bowl a couple years ago when the Seahawks didn't run the ball with Marshawn Lynch. They passed the ball. It blew up in their faces. I still maintain it wasn't a bad call because it wasn't what everyone in the world was expecting. But I would say that, you know, it's a classic example of then like, oh, then this, the Pete Carroll's the goat for, for or the, the Seahawks offense is the is, is coordinator's goat for, for making that call when meanwhile the other guy made a great play. And, and so like I, I think if, if they had successfully made the play, it, then Russell Wilson's the hero because he made the, t the touchdown pass. So Exactly. He, he, the only reason people think Pete Carroll was wrong because it didn't work, which right. is a ridiculous way to evaluate it. Right. And so, and like, you know, sports are random and I think there's, you know, a lot of it just is, uh, I don't know, it's, there's, and I, I feel it feels lame to even say this, but there are like actual human people who are acting this all out, and it's not uh, running a fantasy team, and it's not that anyone's saying it is, right? But it's just different. It's just it, there's there's a, a big time human relations aspect to every coaching position, and I think it's an important one. And I think that you know having the if you have the players trust and you know what you're doing, I don't know, especially in baseball, again, like. Uh, Terry Francona was the hero of the postseason. It seemed like every single button he pushed was the correct one. But the button he was pushing in the postseason was bringing in dominant relief pitcher Andrew Miller. Right? That's a really obvious button that every guy should be able to push. Um, and a lot of a lot of managers would have done that uh, the same way. Right? Ride this guy, and then all of a sudden, game seven. Then that's the time Miller lets up the runs, and the Cubs go on to win. And so we forget about you know that part of the history of it because all we're jazzed up about is the Cubs coming back and winning and we sort of ignore the fact that Joe Madden made some questionable calls in there I don't know there's there's so much again like you said it's so much that we just sort of pick the moves based on what happened and and assess the moves based on what happened and not like the range of possibilities of what might have happened I, I totally agree um, all right, well, we were aiming for like a half hour here, and we've blown past an hour, so we should go. I'm sorry for keeping you so long. Thank you for having these conversations with me, Luke. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, even though we disagreed, I think it was mostly civil. Uh, yeah, we've kept it civil. We can we can get uncivil now off when we're not uh, publishing it live. But you can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, rate us, review us, please. We uh, the more reviews we get, the cooler stuff I'll be able to do. So uh, let us know how it's doing, and we want to hear your feedback. If if it stinks, you can say that too. But be nice. You know, we're we're nice guys. Uh, Luke's a nice guy. Hamill, our producer, is not here. She's a very nice woman. Uh, so you know, everybody be cool. And but do please rate us and review. Us. And be honest, we, we, we want to hear it. Uh, check, out, check us out on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Uh, we have posts at For the Win, ftw.usatoday.com. Luke's on the Twitter and the Facebook and everything else, as am I. You can check us out there. Thank you for listening, and Luke, thanks again for chatting. Thank you, Ted.